All right. Welcome back, listeners. This is another episode of Go Be Wyoming. I'm your host, Aaron Gray, and today we have another special guest, Cyrus Western, State House District 51 representative. Uh, Cyrus, thanks for joining me today. I'm glad to be on the show. Thank you. Um, well, let's just jump into it. You just had a re-election um, for your second term. Um, you won the primary. Um, what is kind of your favorite thing about campaigning? You know, as a representative, this is you know, two terms in a row, but uh, sure. what's kind of a fun thing you like doing about campaigning? Sure. I mean, you know, it's campaigning is kind of one of those love-hate things that there are moments where you're just like, oh gosh, will this ever end? And then there are moments where actually it's really fun and you really enjoy it. I, I would say that it's, it's really, it's engaging with people because in, in hearing what they're thinking, what are their thoughts on issues and just learning about them because, you know, just, moved to Sheridan when I was a year old and you know raised here all that stuff but when you campaign especially when you're you know out door knocking and you're out in these communities you realize there are people here that you never would have seen otherwise or interact with otherwise unless mm -hmm. you went to them right and so I think engaging with them and hearing what their concerns are and really talking with them that's the most interesting and best part about it I, I think because you, know, you have you go through all this stuff and, and you know, you know, you're in session or you're in committee meetings and, and this can definitely be interesting and rewarding, but I think it's really interesting actually talking to folks, hearing what they have to say, what are their concerns and what do they want you to know about them? Learning that right. kind of stuff is uh, stuff I, I enjoy the most, at least when it comes to campaigning. So perfect. Cool. Um, and then, yeah, what, you know, how was this campaign different from your first one? You know, you came out, um, I think at the time you were going to challenge, uh, Bo Biteman, he was the representative, but then he uh, kind of switched over to the Senate side. So that was a little interesting Correct. first race. But how was this campaign a little different? You were kind of defending your your seat this go round. Yeah, no, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I think my strategy, I think generally is the best strategy campaigning is to run on you and what you bring to the table. What ideas do you have? What solutions do you have? How do you want to help solve problems and deliver results, right? And so uh, that's that's kind of what I ran on and, and about the, the things that I accomplished these last two years and, and got done uh, on behalf of the district that are beneficial for the district. Uh, so those were kind of the big things. But, um, you know, it's, it, it is, again, it was my first time running for office and not being the, uh, the out, you know, kind of being the, the newcomer where I was running as the incumbent. It's my first time doing that. So it was a little bit different because people like they know who you are and and you know they've they're they're a little bit more familiar with you than you were two years ago, and um, so that was was kind of the, the major difference. But it, it really wasn't too bad. People were still great to interact with, so it was a, it was a good experience. Cool, cool. And how was your first term? You know, you, that was your freshman representative. Kind of give us uh, maybe what was a uh, surprise to you, and then or maybe what kind of you were like. This was what I was expecting. Sure. Uh, I mean, I had, you know, I worked on Capitol Hill uh, as a staffer, so I kind of cut my teeth there, and I had been to uh, interact with the legislature multiple times for a while prior to, uh -huh. so uh, I had, had had enough interaction to have a rough idea. There was never any moments where I was, like, totally surprised or totally caught off guard, um, but it, all in all, I think it went really well. It's like anything in life. To be good at it, it's a lot of work. Uh, I think, I mean, you'd be surprised at the amount of people who, um, let's put it this way, are, are not prepared, yep. who don't do their homework. And I think uh, whether it's in elected office, whether, you know, you're 
high school football coach, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's whatever it is, an attorney, a doctor, the more prepared you are, the better off you're going to be. And that's no different than the legislature. And that was just another, this past, my freshman term kind of reaffirmed that, that's that thing that I've, I've known for a long time. And, and so that was a great experience and really just being in there and legislating, honestly, being with uh, your fellow legislators was, was one of the more rewarding things and actually getting stuff done. We all, everyone likes to gripe about something, what you name it from the sure. big stuff to, you know, healthcare to taxes to the, you know, well, the county doesn't plow my road quickly enough in the morning. And, you know, everyone loves to gripe. And so to actually be part of a body that can actually do something, granted slowly and not as quickly as we all like, but still being part of the body that gets to fix issues, uh, that I really enjoyed. It was a really, I mean, there's frustrating moments for sure, but on the whole, it was a super rewarding experience. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. No, and that's, um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to start this, this show is um, first, the accessibility to representatives like you and senators and um, to get yeah, that course. message of, uh, you know, we still get things done, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, sure. we're, uh, we're in a great state and we, we've got a great governing body. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, let's kind of roll into that. You know, we have an interesting legislative session this year. Uh, you know, it's not a secret um, with COVID the and then uh, how fossil fuels and stuff have impacted the state. Uh, right. You know, that's everyone's talking about is budget, budget, budget. Um, yep. You know, what are kind of some other things, you know, outside of the budget um, that you see, you know, coming up this legislative session? You know, I mean, that is certainly the, the main thing that, that comes up and that's what everyone's attention is on. But I think that there's, there's always room for improvement in the areas of criminal justice reform. That's something that I've been, been paying attention to. I mean, there's, you know, I'm involved in numerous efforts to, to try to get some stuff for, uh, for the hunting public done and, and for wildlife conservation, stuff like that, that is not necessarily budget related. I mean, yep. everything is budget related because everything requires money, right? But that we can make, add or make, make adjustments to state statute that don't really require money per se, but can still have an impact on, on bettering people's lives. So sure. um, there are at least a couple things that I'm involved in that, that aren't necessarily budgetarily related that uh, are still really interesting. And I think that will have a, a positive impact. Cool. Well, and that's, and see, and I, I think that's great to hear, you know, that there's some potential uh, um, um, justice reform that you said, and then uh, conservation, obviously you're big into that. And, yep. um, you know, uh, I do want to ask you just your thoughts, you know, this isn't a gotcha question here, but you sure. know, how do you think the state of Wyoming has done um, with the relief package for COVID? Um, you know, is, is there, you may have an inside scoop of, is, is there more sure. that we're going to do? Um, sure. <clears throat> sure. I mean, I certainly hope that, I think that a little bit of a mixed bag, I think we're not getting it out to the general public uh, quickly, but I think that the programs that we set out, the three mitigation funds, I think that we mm -hmm. set up were, are doing well. They're going, getting, getting that money in the right hands. I think the first step was to get that money in the hands of small businesses. Because right. those are the people who, through no fault of their own, were doing their best, running their businesses to the best of their abilities, and got blindsided. So I think that's priority number one. And we've done a lot of that. You know, there was a, a, a particular constituent who owns um, a lodge up on top of the mountain, you know, a, a hotel and restaurant. They were, they were in pretty tough shape, and they were able to get some relief uh, through the CARES money that the state got. So there's a, a great example where that money went to where it was supposed to and had the impact that it was uh, intended. Um, right. So I think it's, it's not getting out quick enough, but I think we're definitely doing our best to get it in the right places. And I think we have, 
Uh, I, I encourage the governor to continue to use the money judiciously, but also don't be afraid to, to authorize a release of more of those funds, especially in the event that it goes to our small businesses mm -hmm. across the state. So, and yeah. you can, you can, it's, it's all public and transparent. You can see who got, uh, who got money and how much they got. And I think a lot of you look, a lot of those recipients are overwhelmingly in the hospitality industry, people who own restaurants, people who own hotels, you know, gift shops, stuff like that. Those are all, yep. again, our small businesses that are, are really reliant on, on tourism that got hit pretty hard. So uh, I think that's an example of, of the money went to, to where it was supposed to. Right. And I think, you know, like you said, everyone's going to have a, you know, a, a gripe. And obviously the first thing with all this relief stuff is it wasn't fast enough. And I think that that's, a, that's always going to be everyone's sure. uh, first thing. So, sure. um, yeah, and I was doing some research, you know, you're totally right. It's very transparent from the state, you, you know, where the funds went, how much it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that, that's a good thing because I think, you know, these are obviously unprecedented times and we have to think outside the box, but I also think we can't abandon, abandon transparency because I think transparency is, is one of the, one of the main tools, if not the number one tool, uh, and, and accountability, mm -hmm. um, and holding ourselves accountable and holding others accountable. I think making sure people know saying, Hey, this is going to be open and public information. Uh, I think it, it helps keep everyone. It, it's the old, you know, Benjamin Franklin quote, a law keeps an honest man out. Mm -hmm. I think transparency is that lock in the situation. Yeah, perfect. No, well said. Um, well, let's get into, uh, we kind of already hit on it, um, kind of hunting, conservation. Um, sure. I imagine you're participating tomorrow. Um, do you want to give the secrets away, uh, what area you're in? or? <laughs> uh, I, I'll be hunting in the state of Wyoming. How does that sound? <laughs> that sounds good. Um, yeah. and, that's, and that's archery, correct? Archery starts first? Correct, yeah. Yeah, most... Very few areas you uh, are you allowed to rifle hunt in September. There's a couple for elk and for deer, but almost all of them are uh, September is strictly archery. So, yep, which I think is and, a very good. Thing. And uh, did, have you seen? And, and I don't know if you don't. You know, this is kind of off the cuff here. Um, have you sure. seen any numbers on uh, out of state hunters? You know what that looks like for the state because that is a pretty good, um, you know, uh, revenue generating. Um, yeah. Know, no, I mean, there's. Uh, Non-resident, I mean, if you just look at the price tag disparity, I, mean, I think a, a bull tag over the counter for a resident, it's, 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 it's right around 60 bucks. And uh, for the non-resident special, it's like 1100 or 1200 bucks. And just the non-resident -reg, non regular, I think is still like $800. I mean, it's, it's expensive. So the, I think that accounts for about half the, uh, of the revenue of all the revenue generated from the, the sale of, of, of tags. It's, yep. it's not resident. So they contribute a lot. And there's a big movement right now. Not a big move. There's some, I think it's small, but uh, vocal movement to change the, the tag allocation in 9010. Mm. And I, I think in a perfect world, that would be great. Cause there are other States, like I believe Utah and Idaho are 9010 allocation, 10% of their tags go to non-residents, 90% go to residents. We're not too far off. I think it's right around like 80, 20 or somewhere okay. around there, just depending on the species. Uh, in this given area uh, for that yep. species. But my thought is this, is Game and Fish is an, is an agency that's basically off the general fund. They are self-sustaining through yep. feed, all that other kind of stuff. Um, you know, Game and Fish works pretty hard to, to give, to keep the fees low for, for residents. If they're going to be losing a bunch of revenue, um, where's, that, where's that makeup going to come from? 
I mean, one of the main ways is, is fees for residents, right? You don't want to pay higher tag fees. I don't want to pay higher tag fees. So I think we have to really think about what are, what are we willing to sacrifice to, to get this more favorable allocation? And look, in some elk and deer is it may mean hundreds more tags for that given area, potentially, but not, yep. not for a lot. The majority is only an incremental increase of only a couple percentage points in terms of allocation for, for residents. In terms of the number of, of, of additional available licenses versus the ones they already make available to residents. Right. Uh, to those folks who are hell-bent hell on the 90-10 kind of IDS, is it worth considering? Sure. I think the other things that we are facing in this state, issues in terms of hunting, in terms of wildlife management, are much more pressing and important. I mean, 30 years ago, there were about half a million mule deer in the state of Wyoming. Today, there's about 300,000. I see that as a hugely important issue that is much more worthy of our limited time and our, certainly our limited money yeah. uh, and trying to address some of those issues. So those are the kind of things that I would rather, uh, rather focus my time and department time on in terms of wildlife and, and conservation. So that's right. one I should definitely follow. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, you know, and uh, I was talking with some guys this morning about, you know, um, conservation and what that means, you know, and I, um, I, I think you said that very eloquently about like, hey, look, like we can have a conversation about 90-10, but like you brought up the mule deer population, you know, that's a little more pressing than giving that extra 10% to residents. Like, you know, hey, yeah, that'd be awesome. But, you know, if there's no mule deer to hunt, then I, <laughs> you know, there's a, <laughs> that's What's a bigger concern. More tags if you don't have healthy, healthy herds and healthy populations. Right. Totally. Um, Let's talk, uh, this is kind of a question I had too, is sure. um, as an oil and gas landman, um, and I, I believe you're in oil and gas too, there's kind of this. Uh, um, it's, been a, it's been a tough summer, I'll tell you that much. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we run into this situation, um, same with hunting, um, you know, um, the corner hopping, you know, and I maybe I right. hopefully I'm not stepping on landmine here, but um, no. it is an interesting um discussion to have about private land ownership and you know how do how do people access state land and um yep yep you know is there is there push for stuff like that legislation for that oh and that's actually in addition to conservation that's probably the number one issue that i've been been talking about and trying to figure out a way to 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 move the needle is access Mm -hmm. uh because i think if you look at the all the hunters at least in the american west 97% 97% of them either wholly or partially rely on public land for a successful harvest. I mean, that's, that's, that tells you everything you need to know about the importance of, of, of public land uh, and its use. And the reality is there are some parts of the American West and here in Wyoming and here in this County where access is tough. If you look at the entire state, the toughest access is, issues in the entire state of Wyoming are in Sheridan, Johnson and Campbell counties. And, Converse as well and some of the other ones, but it's that northeast quarter of the state where access is hardest, mm-hmm. where you've got to hike, got to drive further, you got to hike more to get into the good quality habitat to find, find high quality game. And that's one of the things I've been working on. And look, personally, I'm all for corner hopping. I would love to, and I've actually talked with Game and Fish, and I've talked with Office of State Lands, OSLI, about a bill about corner hopping. Mm-hmm. Politically, that's a pretty big lift (laughs) from landowners and i understand their 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 position and i makes sense yep there's also a lot of technical you know politic political aspects aside there's a lot of technical stuff if we were to get that bill right 
for example, a lot of those current corners aren't USGS surveyed. They haven't yep. had, you know, a bunch of, um, you know, engineers or people with their PLS out there actually surveying um, these corners to know exactly where they are. Because yep. the technical, the argument, the hunting argument is, well, if I just take one step, one giant step from one corner to the other, I can go from state land to or public land, whether it's BLM or Forest Service, or whatever. I can go from public land to public land without treading a foot on right. on private. For that to be accurate, for that to happen in the most literal sense, there has to be a perfectly surveyed corner. And if you look at, you know, Onyx Hunt app is the one I use. I know there's a couple of those apps out, but that's the one I use. And all yeah. of them are pretty accurate, but I think it's within like 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 two like two or three yards, which is not mm-hmm. accurate enough to to say with complete certainty I step from public to public. Yep. So I mean that's one of the aspects is what are we gonna do? Are we gonna we'd have to allocate a lot of money to either have state engineers or engineers from USGS or contract, you know, uh, a land surveyor or engineers, a third party to come into it to survey the thousands, to be probably tens of thousands of corners that exist across the state of Wyoming. Mm -hmm. So that's one technical thing that we have to think about in a bill like that. So that's one of my long-term things I want to get done. For sure. Um, In the meantime, one of the solutions is um, trying to figure out another way around that because the whole idea is better access for, for hunters, right? And so we've got we've got mechanisms like, for example, the HMA system, the uh, uh, hunter management area. The mechanism works well to increase access. It's a funding thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest things is that, look, if I'm a rancher and someone comes to me and says, well, what's it going to take to allow the hunters to cross your private to get on public that that, that you have control over, you know, the vast majority of time, it comes down to dollars and cents, right? If the check is big enough, they're going to give it all with all due consideration, right? So that's one of the things I'm working on is how can we, and, you know, I, I know, again, you're kind of on the the, the, the never never tax kind of bandwagon, <laughs> and I largely, I, I, I agree. However, one of the things we are thinking about doing is, is if, I, th- I believe, and a lot of hunters I've talked to, is that they will be willing to pay more, say, in a conservation stand, if they know that that money is actually going to unlocking high-quality land. We're not talking some like you know, you know, some subpar tract way out in the middle of nowhere that you're, there isn't any good animals on it anyway. Like actually going to unlocking really high-quality habitat that's got good quality game on it. A lot of hunters I've talked to say, yeah, I'm willing to pay an additional, you know five bucks, six, seven bucks, whatever it is, something like that, yep. uh, to unlock that land. And so that's one of the things that we're talking about is trying to figure out how can we increase access and making sure that hunters are getting bang for the buck in the event that they're willing to pay pay an extra 5% or whatever it is. So that's mm-hmm. access is one of the biggest things because I, like the vast majority of hunters, am relegated to, to hunting on public land. First animal yep. I ever harvested on PLM. The first elk I ever shot with my bow up on National Forest Service. I have hey, Mr. Ranchers and able to get last minute access, but hardly, uh, you know, a reliable, a reliable game plan for, for hunting. So that's right. access is a big thing for me that I, uh, I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you, you know, those solutions you just talked about, you know, one, it's, it, there is funding, you know, we, there's, there's no uh, way kind of around it. And I, I think one thing you hit on, you know, that makes me feel good is, you know, transparency, as long as we know where that's going, hundred percent. Not a big deal to me. You know, like you said, if if it's going to an area that's not great, you know, then yeah, there's a problem, but 
Right, exactly. And I, that's was the overwhelming majority. I the, the folks I've talked to, at least around Sheridan, it's not like I've conducted a statistically yep. sound survey of all hundred states. They'd be willing to pay more if they know it's it's going to access key areas, whether it's up in the you know in the Bighorns or way out in the Powder River Breaks, where it's access is really tough and it's very disjointed, or you know stuff like that. Um, yep. Because I think you know that's access is, is so important because hunting is such a phenomenal legacy right and for that legacy to continue at least in this state i think in america there has to be good access to to public i mean yeah. and that's what i love about hunting is that if you go over to europe hunting is considered a very blue blood uh royal sport because the people who own the land for the last thousand years in europe were were, were the the landed gentry the nobility the aristocrats uh where in america hunting is considered a it's a it's a activity that's engaged in by across the, the socioeconomic spectrum, rich, poor, and everything in between, people love to hunt, in part because we have all this public land where you can do it. So. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And one thing, um, too, for anyone out there, too, the technical aspect of the, you know, get the, uh, outside of hiring the, you know, the, the, you know, contractors or whoever to survey the corners, there's also the question of, okay, well, who's going to pay for to redo fences? You know, that's a... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really tough one because, look, we have to work with landowners, with ranchers. I know every hunter has the story of the cranky rancher that was yelling at them because they thought they were on their land, but turns out it was public or whatever. But the reality yep. is, is that hunter, uh, ranchers and landowners have to have a seat at the table. And quite frankly... A lot of land and all, but a lot of them have done a pretty good job at actually uh, engaging in herd management and habitat management. Like, for example, in the Powder River Breaks, I would argue have some of the biggest mule deer in the state. And in large part, it's because a lot of that is private and these ranchers have done a good job uh, of, of, of managing these herds and only harvesting mature bucks and letting successful recruitment of these younger ones. And that's why you see some, some really high quality deer out there. Uh, so I think land, respecting private property and, and working with landowners Yep. Is, is an absolute must uh, in this mm -hmm. whole conversation. Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, well, Cyrus, that's, that's kind of all I had, you know, that, like I said, we kept this nice and short. Um, I will give you a little, um, kind of the floor here. Um, sure. you know, one year, one year primary, but, um, still a lot, a lot of work to still be done and, sure. um, yep. second, second term, but, um, what's kind of, just a quick message to your constituents and the people of Wyoming about uh, this upcoming legislative session. I think this is the question that we have to ask ourselves constantly, but especially now is what do we want our community to look like? And I'm not talking next budget cycle, the budget cycle after that. I'm talking 20 years from now. What do we want Sheridan to look like? Because if you look at Sheridan 30, 40 years ago, the big employers where it was the sugar mill, it was the flour mill. It was all the dairy farms that we had here and they're all gone and they're not coming back. Right. So we have to constantly be asking ourselves, how do we adapt to put ourselves in a position where we're not just surviving, but we're thriving. And I think Sheridan on, on the whole is doing a pretty dang good job. Right. You know, we've got, you know, there's a lot of oil and gas engineers in Sheridan, you know, and we've got lots of mining in Sheridan, but we've also got, you know, VacuTech, Weatherby, Keenan Designs, EMIT, all those LNH, all those guys, uh, then that light manufacturing sector that I think are, are, are working in replacing those good, solid blue-collar jobs that I think any successful community, any thriving community has to have. So I ask, them, I ask people, what do we want our communities to look like? 
And what are we willing to give up to ensure that happens? What sacrifices are we willing to make and what sacrifices are too much? Um, you know, like right now we're, we're going through these budget cuts, which I think cutting is the absolutely necessary first step because the, the reality is this, you know, if I have a job, let's say I'm a really successful attorney and I'm making whatever, 300 grand a year, right? Mm -hmm. Life is great. I've got a nice house. I've got a nice car. I've got all those really nice things, right? And let's say for whatever reason, I lose my job and I have to take an attorney in a smaller office, whatever it is. And I'm only making a hundred grand a year. That's a $200,000 a year decrease in income. That's kind of what we're going through here in the state of Wyoming, right? We have to really figure out now that I have the smaller salary, the smaller in income, what are the things that I'm willing to let go of? What are the things that I'm spending on? And some of these things are, are, are generally speaking, worthy expenditures. Our coaching staff at our high schools, I think I, I love, I would want my kid to be able to play sports and to play sports, they need a good coaching staff, right? Yep. What are the things we're willing to let go of uh, to prioritize our money? Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people love, want, love to talk about, you know, all the waste, all the fraud, all that stuff. And I'm not saying there isn't uh, excessive or unnecessary spending that's gone on because there absolutely has. Yep. And I think people need to realize that with these cuts, we're cutting people, we're cutting jobs. And these aren't, these aren't nameless, faceless bureaucrats in some distant land. These are our neighbors. These mm -hmm. are our friends. They're our family. I mean, how many people do you know that work in education? I guarantee yep. you, you, one of my best friends, his wife's a teacher out in Tongue River. Yep. So I don't look at this as like, oh, you know, I'm going to walk around bragging about all the, the cuts we made and look at all this stuff. Like, no, like we're doing this because we have no choice. And I understand that these cuts are going to have a really painful impact. I'm going in clear out. I think there are not a lot, but there are definitely some people who are thinking, well, it's just, just cut them. It's not a big deal where it's like, well, I, I have to look these people in the eye and justify my decision. And, and that's my question is, what can I do? And what kind of community do we want to have? And what are we willing to give up to get there? What services are we willing to sacrifice? And what are the ones that we're willing to pay more of out of our own pockets to ensure are delivered and delivered at, at a quality level? Yep. So there's totally. my there's my rant. <laughs> no, well, and that's, and, and, and I think, um, um, you know, I think everyone's on board. Everyone understands, look, that it's going to be tough. People are going to lose jobs. Um, you know, the, the private sector's already lost jobs. You know, people have been struggling. And I mean, it, it's, uh, oh, yeah. the state government's yeah. not immune to it. And, um, and I think it, it, you, you, you did say it well that, you know, in your position, like you said, you have to kind of look those people in the eye and say, Hey, you know, this is where we're at. Like this, I mean, yep. and, and like you said, I'm not boasting about it, you know, which is, yeah, that'd be probably the wrong thing to do. Um, yeah. but, uh, well, no, that was perfect. And that was well said and, um, good luck tomorrow yeah. um, on opening day. Um, what, uh, what about yourself? Are you, uh, are you a bow hunter yourself or what's, what's your story? Nope. You know, I, um, I've never gotten to bow hunting. I've done rifle hunting. Um, sure. you know, as a, as a football coach, it is really freaking hard to get out there. And, uh, you know, yep. a, a friend of mine was like, when do you guys practice? And I was like four. And he's like, yeah, that's rough. He was like, that's kind of, kind of the golden time to go in the afternoon. Uh, you know, I could go in the mornings, I guess, but, um, yeah, I've done rifle tough. hunting. That's awesome. I love rifle hunting. That's yeah. Uh, I need oh, to man. hunting period. Is, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, kind of a snob when it comes to bow hunting, but no, hunting across the board is an incredibly re rewarding uh, experience. So oh, for yep. sure. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. How are, um, the, uh, how are the Bronx looking this season? Good. They won their, won their first game against Laramie here at home. So um, and uh, uh, it looks like we're going to have a season. Looks like uh, um, 
you know, I, I don't see us uh, delaying or anything. Looks like everything's going well so far with the school districts. And, um, yeah. but um, yeah, Bronx look good. Um, good. Uh, the 4A is going to be tough this year. I think there's, uh, everyone's back and, um, so that'll be fun. And um, I think 2A, those Tongue River and Bighorn will start this week, I believe. Yep. Um, yep. Both, both yeah. uh, Sheridan County's had a great uh, run here, local, uh, you know, recently uh, football-wise with all yeah. three schools. Let's keep it up. <laughs> or we got a good coaching staff. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, see, so. Uh, but, yeah. Um, well, Cyrus, uh, thanks for joining again. Um, you know, hopefully – we can do another interview. You know, um, one thing I'd love to do is catch you guys maybe in session and talk about maybe bills or stuff and, um, just keep everyone informed. So yeah, 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 for sure, man. Anytime. Perfect. Well, thanks again, guys. This was a state house district representative, uh, 51 Cyrus Western. Thanks Cyrus. Thanks for having me on the show. Yep. Well, man, uh, that's all I had for you, Cyrus. So, um, yeah. Yeah. For sure. What's, what's kind of, I mean, what's your take on kind of that whole budget situation? I mean, your coach, I mean, I know like, you're not a, a salary coach, but I think some of those coaches get like, they get like, you know, three to five grand for a season. Like it's, it's real money. It is. I mean, would you be, would you be willing to sacrifice your job if that meant making those cuts and, and getting towards balancing the budget? Or what do you think? So I'm in a weird spot cause I do get that stipend. Um, right. salary. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stipend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, y- you know, and I, I can't speak for the other, the other guys. Cause you know, most, as you know, most coaches are teachers. So, I mean, right. for them, that's an extra little, little, uh, yeah. income they get. Um, that's a couple months of your mortgage payment. Yeah. So I can't speak for guys that, you know, guys and gals that are teachers. Um, I would be, you know, cause I, I'm in the private sector and I'll, you know, I'll go, you know, coaching for me is more of a, um, you know, more of a hobby than it is, um, you know, my job. So it's, yeah. I'm kind of in a weird spot, um, but I would, and I, you know, and honestly, I would, I would guess, you know, you'd probably have to ask other coaches, but I think other coaches would say, yeah, you know, if, if it yeah. meant, if it meant uh, for them to play and, you know, and other things, if, if it meant sacrificing a year or two, I, I think they would say yes. And, you know, Sheridan in particular, I know, you know, most of the bigger, now, you know, the, the smaller school districts would have an issue, but, you know, Sheridan, they've got a great booster system and they'd probably find a way to pay the coaches. So it's, I hate to say that because there's going to be other school districts that don't have that support. So it's kind of one of those fine lines, but you know, that's, that's the reality we're in. And look, look, I sat down with, with some of the coaches and, and, and I said, look, for um, for high school sports to survive in the state of Wyoming, it's it's going to have to the, the funding model is going to have to drastically change. Mm-hmm. Uh, pay to play, whatever to boosters, but I mean, look at what Sheridan College just did. Uh, you know, and look, I'm not saying athletics aren't important because I think they're hugely impactful and beneficial for kids. I mean, there are a lot of kids that may struggle in the classroom, but when you get them on the whether it's the soccer field or the football field or whatever the basketball court, they thrive. They really kind of become themselves and really find their their you know their niche, and I think that's great. But the reality is, K twelve exists to make sure our kids know how to read, write, and do math at its yeah. most core level. Everything else is important and, and impactful and beneficial, but at its most 
fundamental level, it's teaching your kids how to read, write, and do math. Yep. And that's the step I, that if, if you're going to make me prioritize our K through 12 dollars and making sure that we have STEM teachers that are paid well so we can re uh, recruit and retain good quality teachers, that's where my prioritization is going to be. It's going to yep. be letting all that stuff go or figure, telling them, hey, we're not saying you can't do this. You're just on your own for finding the money. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, and I've got a weird perspective, like I said, and, and one thing that you and I kind of, we probably agree on is, uh, you know, I think Sheridan has done a great job in how they spend money, but yep. there's some other school districts out there that don't prioritize oh, yeah. that in their K through 12. And now they're in a situation where, um, you know, they've been spending the money the wrong way. And it's kind of like, guys, this is kind of on you. You guys have been prioritizing the wrong thing. And, um, yeah. it's block grant funding. We write you the check. You, you, you get to decide, you know, 80% of it, you get to decide how you spend it. Yep. Yeah. Um, like I won't, won't name counties, but there was a team that we played at state a couple of years ago. And I mean, they spent a lot of money on multiple buses and, they brought like big old stereo systems and it's kind of like, wow, that, you know, as me, I'm a, I'm a taxpayer, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a teacher and I'm seeing that like, man, is that really the most necessary spending we need to do? You know, cause yeah, sports are important, but you don't see us wasting a couple thousand dollars on, you know, one trip, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think some school districts are going to have to have some serious conversations about where our money's going and, you know, and, um, yeah, if they don't well, have the support, it's, you know, it's, it's tough, man. It really is. And again, I, I think it, it comes, if we're willing to let go, I think if we, as just everyone is willing to let go of, of services being performed or certainly being part of the level that they are, I think we can cut away out of this. Mm -hmm. It's going to be pretty goddamn painful. Uh, but yep. I think we can, we can if, if, but I think we need to have that discussion saying, okay, what are the things we really want? Cause I think some people need to understand is that okay, if we really want to keep some of these things, we're going to have to increase taxes. That's if you, but if you're okay with, with not having that, and if, if you're willing to accept that, then yeah, we can, we can, you know, come damn close to cutting our way out of this without having to increase any taxes. Yep. So, yeah. That's and, and I, and, and that's, you know, you know, we kind of talked before, like I'm the no tax guy, but yeah, that's the conversation you got to have with somebody is like, if you want all these services, then the only, the only, way you do that is increase your income like we kind of use that example is it's either we cut or we don't yeah. and it's <laughs> yeah and look i mean that's just i, I look at it as is human nature right expenses rise to income i mean aaron if, if oil jumps to you know 90 dollars a barrel your income is going to go up a ton and you're going to have that that urge to spend more maybe you have a lot of financial discipline and you only spend a little bit more but your spending is still going to go up and that's okay that's fine yep. Nothing. I mean, if you're spending every dollar you make, that might be a problem. But right, you know. What I'm saying? And well, I mean, we weren't that way. We didn't spend every dollar we make. We socked away uh, a billion and a half dollars in a rainy day fund. All these other. I mean, you know, we've got there's about twenty two billion dollars worth of all these different funds from the the permanent land uh, a school land fund to our rainy day fund to our sovereign mineral wealth fund. It's got almost nine billion in it. Like we've done a good job of socking money away for sure. Mm -hmm. Could we've done a little better? Yeah, yeah, sure, of course, but. Um, the reality is, is that in a time like this, same thing, when the amount of income goes down, the spending's got to go down too. And, you know, there's some talk about bonding, about going to capital markets and debt markets and raising money. But generally speaking, I'm pretty against that because it's yeah. living on a credit card, right? Yep. And 
that strategy only works so well if you have a way to pay it off. And right now we don't have a way to pay it off. Yep. So and, and really it's it's a band-aid. It's not really a yeah, exactly. You either fundamentally fix the the spending structure or the the income or the or the spending side of it. That's used, that's I mean, it's, the state budget is very complicated, but it kind of really boils down to those two concepts, right? The spe- expenditures versus versus income. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's tough, man. I mean, yeah, no, it's in it. You know, and one thing we like to enforce on our show is the the, the work you guys do and we kind of touched there's some that maybe do more than others but for the most part there's a lot of committees there's a lot of meetings a lot of research i mean and then session sessions a two-month thing you know two and a half months i mean it's um we got to support you guys and and understand that there's tough decisions to be made oh and and, you know kind of like i said before i'm not going to name names but there are legislators who don't read any of the bills, who don't do any preparation, who roll into, into the Capitol five minutes before we gavel in. And it's just kind of like, <laughs> you know, I, look, you know, d- demagoguery, uh, it works. Playing on, on people's fears, it works. Yep. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love Reagan is because, yeah, I mean, he saw things he was worried about and, and that he feared, but also he, he preached a message of hope. It's like, hey, this is where we are now. This is where we can be. You know, yep. uh, and that's one of the things that I, I think great leaders throughout human history have, have done that, whether it's in America or elsewhere, have mm-hmm. been able to say, hey, the message I have is one of hope, one of what we can be. Yep. So. That was our interview with House District 51 representative Cyrus Western. Thank you for listening to another episode of Go Be Wyoming.